My name is Chanis Leo, and I'm delighted to welcome you to Episode 4, Season 2 of Indigenous Voices of Vancouver Island. This podcast series is made possible by 4VI, an organization with a mission to ensure travel is a force for good on Vancouver Island forever. We acknowledge the contribution of several Indigenous tourism businesses who generously shared stories of their business, their heritage, and their future hopes. Thus far in the series, we have spoken with Indigenous women entrepreneurs, heard from people keeping traditions at the forefront of their daily lives, and investigated the path to and advantages of food sovereignty. In episode four, we speak to three executives who through their jobs or businesses are leading the process of building strong communities. We start with someone we first met in season one, Gary Wilson. Gary is at the heart of community building in Northwest Vancouver Island. Uh, my traditional name is Ganesh Lagilis. I'm from the Hastjok Nation of Bella Bella. I'm not a citizen of Kayuka Chakoset. Um, and the name was given to me by my great uncle, God rest his soul, in 2012 at a potlatch in Bella Bella. And that means screeching throughout the beaches of the world as an eagle. Gary is working on many fronts to enable and empower the people of Kayika Chaklaset to succeed on their own terms and in a manner that honors their culture. Tichma Enterprises, uh, Kayika Chaklaset group of businesses. Kayika Chaklaset is a First Nation on the northernmost region, nor- northwest coast of Vancouver Island. It's the northernmost Chalmut community. I'm not a citizen, just to clarify that, first of all. And Teach My Enterprises is a wholly owned business, group of businesses of the Cayuca Checklist. And they, um, there's a number of businesses involved under, under the umbrella of Teach My Enterprises, including uh, tourism, hospitality, tourism, oh, forestry, uh, fisheries, aquaculture, uh, aggregate, and the Teach My Hospitality Limited Partnership has a number of other businesses that sit underneath that and West Coast Expeditions, the Walters Cove, the Fair Harbor Marina and Campground, as well as Hoops as well as Suites. So the group of businesses is essentially the economic driver of the nation. It's a vision that came out of their community economic development plan to establish a conservation-based economy through the businesses existing in, in new opportunities and partnerships. And, and essentially, our, my role in working with my team is to facilitate the, the own source uh, revenue development and creating opportunities for citizens to work within the organization or procure opportunities with the businesses, uh, whether you're an entrepreneur, contractor. Our role is to facilitate that and, and support citizens in their their you know, development of, of either professional development, entry-level positions to contractors and entrepreneurship. Our role is to, to support and facilitate and foster that within the territory and outside of the territory as well. I asked Gary to describe what these efforts meant to him and to the community and to share some examples of how these strides were affecting the community. Tichma means heart in Nuchalnath. When we rebranded, we, we wanted to make sure that the culture and traditions was incorporated in the name of the organization. Tichma meaning heart and we are businesses with heart and we're proud to to, to carry that value, the, the principle of the nation as part of our business brand and slogan. And so when we 
do business, we, we definitely do it in a way that takes into considerations the values of the nation, the principles, the laws. It's front and center for us as we develop the businesses, we manage the businesses, and when we develop partnerships is to make sure that all of that is aligned with their missions, their values, their principles. And and in terms of the citizens, our, our objective is no, not to leave anybody behind when we're advancing and, and taking advantage of opportunities and moving forward with with, with uh, partnerships to ensure that they're always front and center for us when when we're developing and growing our businesses and, and um, in inside and outside of the territory. When I joined the, the company in November of 2021, almost two years ago, two, two years to next month, actually, there, there was a strong push for making sure that when we're working with uh, the existing or acquiring new businesses to make sure that there's opportunity for citizens to join entry level and in management to higher level roles, but providing uh, supports for their success through professional development uh, and building our HR strategy to make sure that uh, citizens have the appropriate skills and tools to be successful in uh, creating opportunities for those who not only have technical skills, but have the necessary natural skills of leadership and uh, have have an understanding of the culture and, and the traditions, because that's front and center for our tourism businesses in particular, to make sure that Kayika Chekhlis' story and their history and their culture and who they are as a people is incorporated into everything that we do. That's that's something that's ever-growing, and we're always making sure that uh, it, it's built into our plans and into our budgets and into our, our HR strategies uh, and the like. So all the way through the, the integration of our operations is, is, is really important for us to ensure citizens and, and the nation and the place is front and center for us. So although we are owned by the, the nation, we are held in, in a, to a standard by the nation in terms of how we operate in the territory as well. Uh, so we make sure that everything that we do is, is in keeping with their expectations around how we act and do business on the territory and outside the territories. If, if another business comes in and they, there's an expectation of them to do uh, business in a certain way, uh, we're held to uh, a sta- that same standard by the nation, and, and we take that very seriously. As Gary was in the business of developing community, he seemed the perfect person to ask what lessons learned could be passed on to other nations. I would make sure that, you know, that if whatever they're wanting to aspire to do is to be guided by the vision of the leadership and the citizens to engage them in the conversation early days, uh, to make sure that it, it, it's aligned with their expectations, uh, to make sure that is in keeping with their values and principles. Those are key. Those are very foundational. The foundations of business practice and is important in terms of uh, planning and budgeting and finding the right people to support the work that needs to be done to build a sound business. In terms of tourism, it's really critical that we identify uh, key deliverables and activities that can achieve their objectives around tourism development. We, we invite guests to the territory to share the story, to share the culture, the language, uh, to make sure we're doing it in a way that's respectful uh, and that citizens, when they come to the territory and invited to the territory, that 
they understand what their expectations are when, when in the territory and how to treat the land and the resources, whether it's in sport fishing, kayaking, camping, yeah, surfing, right, to make sure that our objective is to leave the place better than we found it. And those are the values that we promote. And all guests, uh, you know, are informed through uh, education and through dialogue and engagement to truly understand uh, the place that it is. The Cayuca Chuckles have been there for thousands of years and will continue to live there and that any guests coming in should respect, uh, you know, their values and principles to ensure, again, that uh, the place is better than we found it. So those those are really important considerations when you're developing a business and when, when partners come in is to truly get an understanding of those uh, and, and, and you're aligned with those values and missions and, and, and principles. When asked about the future and what he saw, Gary responded with an answer that was focused on the impact of the choices the nation was making on the environment and what he hoped the visitor might take away. I think it's obviously the narrative, what guests would hear and see is based on indigenous worldview. And in this case, Cayuca Chaptasit worldview, it's not something based on others who are, you know, uh, narratives. It's the narrative, the nations that, and the territories in which you're visiting and practicing uh, and doing business on or and or being a guest in the territory. And the other part of that is the nation is focusing in a conservation-based economy where we're trying to reduce our footprint, the carbon footprint, reducing the extractive businesses like forestry and sport fishing. Those are very important parts of our business. But what we want to try and do is strike a balance between that and conservation-based businesses like ecotourism, cultural tourism, as well as clean energy, uh, net zero waste development, using the, the best of technologies today to try to reduce our carbon footprint. For example, relying on fossil fuels to getting into clean energy infrastructure, not only for the businesses, but specifically for the nation as a whole. A number of communities across this land and around the world, indigenous communities in particular, have always fostered stewardship ahead of anything else to make sure that we leave the place better than we found it. So we have a certainty on the land, certainty in terms of economics, certainty in terms of health. Uh, and I am a strong believer that there's a strong correlation between the health of the place and the health of the people. And right now what we're seeing is a lot of cumulative impacts, negative cumulative impacts on the lands and in remote communities where salmon uh, returns aren't what they used to be. The ecosystems are breaking down and our dependency on outside support is, is very expensive. And and we want to make sure that those key aspects of a healthy community are, are all in place and that they're protected. And, and, and those are nation-led nation considerations and principles, right? It's, it's their longstanding principles and values that, that they've, you know, espoused for thousands of years. And we've got to carry that into the future and how we operate and do business as well. It's beyond a transaction uh, for most. The, the, the relationships we build, not only with the people, but the place. They get a better appreciation for the place as well. Like one of the things I always share is, you know, and maybe is my my last comment is uh, an indigenous relationship with land is is familial. You know, we, we appreciate and respect them as though we would our grandmothers or our elders because they they sustained us for thousands of years, and and therefore we should, you know, reciprocate in terms of respect to make sure that we, we take care of uh, the land and the place so that uh, others, future generations, can enjoy it and 
and, and benefited from that as well. From Gary and Teach My Enterprises, we then caught up with Cyrus Singh in Port Hardy. Hello, my name is Cyrus Singh. Um, I'm the CEO of KADC, which is Kwasi Economic Development Corporation. I lead the economic arm for the Guasla Nakwada here in Port Hardy. Also, I should note, I'm uh, addressing you from the traditional territory of the Kwaigith Nation. The Guasla Nakwada were, were forcibly removed from their territory and, and placed on uh, the Sokwadi Reserve here. KADC was initially it was created out of community development plan, and uh, really, it was it was born out of the desire of the Glossonakura people to to create viable, sustainable, and culturally relevant businesses. And it uh, initially was formed in 2014, and uh, I, I took my leadership role actually in, in 2019. But it's been uh, it's been a fascinating journey so far, and since. 2019, it's it's had very rapid growth. Um, you know, we have nine different uh, business areas that we're involved with, ranging from tourism, where we have hotels and, and tours, as well as marine services of, of, of freight and fuel. We have consulting as well, where we uh, do financial services and, and development there. Uh, we also have a construction company, cold storage facilities. It's, it's really quite a dynamic group. So it's been, like I mentioned, it's, it's right now we employ close to 170 people and, and it continues to grow. And, and that's uh, since 2019, it's, it's tripled in size. So it's, it's been an interesting journey. I asked Cyrus to provide more details on their tourist offerings. When people look up uh, Port Hardy, I think the most notable in terms of certainly uh, properties, it would be the Qualilas Hotel, which is it was one of the first Indigenous-themed hotels, and it really does reflect the culture and, and traditions of, of the Guasanaka, but also the Kwakwakala group people, which is uh, mainly residing from Mid-Island to, to the North Island here. And uh, of course, many of the artists are represented there, but the design of it is a reflection of, of many of the key elements and from, from things such as that are very Textiles, such as the, the materials and copper and cedar, all those things are, are really prevalent throughout the hotel. And of course, the amazing artists that reside here, a lot of their art is throughout the hotel. So that's one component of, of uh, certainly uh, the tourism side. We've also had uh, a tour side, which has been active. And really, we continue to look at opportunities to expand that from we have a new venture ongoing where we're, we're about to launch into uh, fishing tours, but also more uh, the foodie tour as well. Seeing how one of the businesses, which I hadn't mentioned, uh, mentioned is a uh, oyster farm. And the oyster farm is actually in the territories of the Glossonacora. And uh, as I mentioned briefly um, in uh, the introduction, the, the Glossonacora were actually forcibly removed from their territory, which is located on the mainland. So it's literally, you have to hop in a boat and, and it's a, about an hour away before you actually get to the, their, their main areas. So, uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's quite exciting. A lot of the ventures that are ongoing, you know, they have multi-trophic aquaculture as well, or we're looking at seaweed farming and things like that. But uh, certainly the Gwigui oysters are a delight, especially if you enjoy food. 
Cyrus explained his take on the impact the economic development was having on community building. Oftentimes we think about just jobs, but it creates a platform where people can contribute to the community in a real way, right? And, and not only that, but jobs, especially when they're integrated with purpose and have cultural meaning, do much more in terms of supporting identity, ensuring that we have healthy communities, right? And I think that ultimately is what good economics is about, uh, you know, especially when we talk about economic development within Indigenous communities. Rather than uh, having a focus on simply extractive sectors, it's about looking at how we can take the model and, and create jobs and uh, economies that really contribute back in, in more than just a you know, financial way. I think the way that we're going about our economics and, and, and really development is a departure from typical, right? And again, a lot of resource development is typically how these communities survive by diversifying away from simply logging or, or just the fishing side and developing services or tourism. You provide a longevity and you also create more jobs that are not cyclical. And I think that that's critical to having consistent job creation and jobs that will uh, sustain people. I think ultimately, when we look at it from a ground level, we look at something, for instance, marine services. You talk about generational impact. Well, that particular company has gone through development process where we actually take high school students out and we begin to train them. And they began to go through the process of becoming, getting their SVOP, their small vessel operator's license, and then they get to go through where they become skippers and become deckhands and begin to move forward within the, the company uh, as there's a, a number of really excellent opportunities as you develop your, your skill set. So that's just one example, right? Others are ranging from construction where we're actively building here in the North Island. And in fact, KCC, Kwasi Construction Company, is the largest builder on the North Island. Our work opportunities or where you have people come in and just like anything, you, you know, within the trades, there's a career path so they can take up and become apprentices and then eventually journeyman and hopefully master trades people. But more importantly, you know, there's a path also to management too. So, you know, it becomes about career development, career growth. So I, I think what happens is you begin to create these pathways, generations after generation, it becomes more easy for access to them. Let's begin to see others who role model that. And I think that's very important. As with all interviews, I was glad to get the advice from Cyrus he would direct to anyone starting their own business with a mind to make community development a pillar in their mission plan. I think every community is different. I think that's one of the things that has to be really highlighted and, and in saying that being aligned and continuing constant alignment to your community is very important. And I think for the success of, of ECDEVs, they need to be engaged with their communities and really understand their vision and, and, and where they want to go. And from that, you'll be able to develop better business models that are in alignment with the vision and, and really what's in the heart of these communities. And I think that is critical. And uh, certainly while you have your typical 
pillars in terms of sector development or growth, but you, you need to keep coming back. And, and when I say that, it's more than simply community engagement. It's about hearing the elders, hearing the, the youth, and, and really understanding where you know the hereditary chiefs are within the community and understanding all those layers. And I think, especially for myself, because I'm not Indigenous, uh, I certainly grew up in Indigenous communities and uh, my, my nephews and nieces are Indigenous, but it's very important for non-Indigenous people to, to sit down and listen. And if you want to be a true ally in the growth and the development of these communities, that's, that is the probably number one piece of advice I can give. I think there are many barriers that exist. And I think that if you are outside the realm of Indigenous ECDEV or a development or even business, uh, it's difficult to understand the barriers that are really there. Indigenous businesses are not seen or engaged the same way by institutions, banking institutions, insurance institutions. Now that's shifting to speak to how the world is beginning to change and certainly has changed with UNDRIP, but those barriers still are there. And uh, it's important to acknowledge them because uh, they're systemic issues. From the structured development of a stronger community in Port Harney, we next speak with Cecilia Dick a tourism supervisor and a passionate storyteller of Indigenous lore. So, Hello, my name is Cecilia Dick, and I said good day, my friend. My traditional name is Hulat, and I am from the Lekwungen Territories. And I am the traditional um, knowledge keeper and tourism supervisor for the Songhees Nation. Tourism for the Indigenous people is so important because it gives us the opportunity to tell the stories of our ancestors in our own words. Because, you know, Victoria is um, is a high, high tourism area. It's one of the highest areas in Canada. So, you know, when people come here, they're looking for the Indigenous um, attractions, but it was never, ever put in place before. So now that gives the um, Lekwungen people, I always say Lekwungen because it's the two nations that own Victoria, and that's the Songhees and Esquimalt Nation. Before, even before Victoria was Victoria, I'm going to give you a little bit of history of us. You know, we were the hub area for all of the nations to come to and actually barter. So we've always been in that role of um, hosting people. When people come from Haida Gwaii, um, Shimshian, even in the United States, island up, up and down the island from the north and west coast, they used to come and do bartering with the nations here because it was the central area. So when they came here, they, were, they did protocol, which we still do today. People ask to come into our lands and they ask permission from our chiefs if they could come to our area when they're doing big events. So when they're doing that, they're asking permission. And there is, in that protocol, they have rules. Like if they say somebody does wrong by us, it's the respect of the nation. So if you do wrong, one does wrong, all do wrong. So you're asked to leave. You wouldn't be able to come back until they did right by the nation and 
said sorry in their own lands and said sorry to us and invited us up for a potlatch. But tourism today is so great. I love it because it it gives me and my team the opportunity to share. We're in, in Victoria Harbour right now um, doing canoe tours, walking tours, and we tell stories about where the land sits in the inner harbor, there's three areas. There's We talk about the signs of Lekwungen, and they have the Spindle Worlds um, downtown. There's seven of them that are located in Victoria. So we talk about three of them, but we point out about four or five of them and tell the stories on where they sit. And those Spindle Worlds were done by Butch Dick Hulapton, and he actually put them in very significant spots of our traditional lands. So it gives us that opportunity to tell the stories. I then asked Cecilia what sharing these stories and supporting the growth of a strong community meant to her. That's a really good question because, you know, when I started this, I was in many different fields, like in healthcare. But the opportunity came to me to um, actually um, be a part of the nation again and teaching the younger generation how to paddle. We call it canoe pulling, but people call it paddling and getting there, um, teaching them about the canoe and the rights of the canoe and how to treat treat the canoe, treat their paddle. It's giving them that, that opportunity to learn how to um, behave on the water in the canoe because there's so much rules, but I'm teaching them that. And along with that in my program, they're learning the language again because we are at a one percentile of our language being dormant forever. And it's we now have a language teacher that has started to teach us our own language again, and we're bringing that back. And in my program, my, my summer program, when I'm hiring the youth, they have to do the language class along with their, their work so that they can be proud of their names because all of our people are handed down names from families. It's family names that are handed down. So we're living where we are putting a voice to the name that we carry. That's the way I can put it. So all of my future Sitlatlas, my elders that had passed on before us, like my traditional name comes from my great grandmother on my mom's side. And I live through her. She lives through me. All my voices that I say, what I'm saying out there comes from her. It now gives her that voice to, to be heard. I, I'm really proud of, of what I'm doing. And I'm proud of my younger generation because they have stepped up and they wanted to learn about the canoe and about the lands, the traditions and you know, they start out shy, but, you know, in the end, they actually really open up and they start doing a welcome and they say their name in their language loud and proud. And then they started to sing traditional songs on the water. So I'm really, really happy about that. As I, I learned from my father, you know, a lot of the traditional lands and areas, because we are oral people, you know, we learn from from listening, opening up our ears and opening up our heart to any of the traditions because of the oral history that we do have 
and we're just really fortunate that we do have elders still here that are able to actually talk about the lands that we have because it is vast. That was the main village site before we were moved to the reserve system in 1911. So when we moved from there in 1911, they, they moved us to the reserve system where it is on Maple Bank Road in Squamalt area now, which is known as Squamalt. Cecilia's passion for tourism and more importantly, her culture, led me to ask what makes Vancouver Island so special. In my opinion, the island has so many hidden gems and that's um, all due to our traditional lands and territories. You know, when I did the Aboriginal ecotourism program with Frank and Kathy Brown in the VIU and the Health First Nation and North Island College, it was so amazing because they brought me to traditional areas of lands and talked about the tradition, the tourism sectors in these traditional lands. Oh, it's so amazing because I, I've experienced most of the island and all of these First Nations people are ready to host and um, share their their culture and knowledge. And I just find that it's just amazing because I had such the most beautiful experience learning about our island. And I keep saying that we have a lot of hidden gems on this island that people don't even know about yet. And if you have the chance to come to the island and experience, ask a First Nations person, you know, Indigenous person, if they're willing to share and want to show you that gem, then, you know, take that opportunity. You know, there's so much opportunity for the next generation, you know, and I just feel in my heart that we're going to have a huge, huge success in this. That positive note brings us to the end of episode four, season two of Indigenous Voices of Vancouver Island. Next time, we'll be discussing a value that has been mentioned repeatedly and is clearly an important part of Indigenous culture, past, present, and future, environmental stewardship. Please join us as we speak with Indigenous people about how they view this issue and what they are doing to preserve their land. I'm Jadis Leo Sain Imut, and we'll see you on our final episode.